thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. You can, of course, give us a call with your questions about the world around you on 021-446-0567 and 011-883-0702. You can also drop us an SMS on 31567 and 31702. Chris, good morning. Good morning. Yes, so this week, uh, apparently scientists announcing that um, something in the guts of worms and flies and mice is slowing down the aging process. Yes, and let's hope this works in humans as well, because the motivation for Daniel Kalman, who's a researcher at Emory University's work, is that in the next 40 years or so, the number of extremely old people living in the majority of countries around the world is set to rise by 350 fold Mm -hmm. and of course older people are less mobile they're less independent and if we can make people age better the health burden of trying to look after a very very considerably aging population could be reduced so they're looking at how to make people not live longer but live healthier Mm -hmm. or longer so people remain more healthy and they can do more and they need less health input and they started off looking at tiny worms because although worms these worms see elegans are microscopic their biochemistry and many of the systems in their bodies are exactly the same as ours so if you study a very very rapidly growing worm that ages fast then it tells you something about how we age and that might tell us how if we can cure these worms how we can cure humans So what they did was to feed these worms with bacteria so they got bugs in their guts that either did or didn't make chemicals called indoles. These are very common chemicals secreted by bacteria but their worms either had bacteria that could make these Mm -hmm. or they had bacteria that couldn't. The worms that had bacteria that could make these indoles aged much better than worms that didn't. Normally these worms stop reproducing by five days of age and by about 15 days of age they become moribund and they can barely move. The tiny worms in their experiments with the indoles, they could actually keep moving like a fit young worm well into their 20 days. So they were ageing much better. And they then repeated the experiments in flies which are a bit bigger and a bit more complicated but again quite similar to how our own bodies work. Same story. And then they tried this in mice and they got very, very old-aged mice that were behaving as though they were much, much younger. Mm -hmm. So, as they say in their paper in the journal PNAS this week, that perhaps we could use this sort of strategy as one way to keep people healthier into their old age, and it suggests that the bugs that live in our guts have a strong influence on how well we age. And so perhaps probiotics, manipulations of gut bugs, or eating the right sorts of diets to maintain the right sorts of bacteria in the gut will play a very important role in helping us to age healthily. Hmm. How much of a role does uh, mobility play in uh, ageing a lot healthier? Um, Because we hear that we're not moving as much as we should, we're sitting a lot more, which is very bad for our health, and I imagine with all of these animals, they move a whole lot more than, say, the average person So do we know how much of a role mobility is playing in how we're ageing? 
Yeah, well, exercise, as, as many people say, if you could make a pill which is half as good for your health as exercise and mobility is, then it would be a blockbuster. There's no, there's no drug that comes even close to the physical benefits of, of modest exercise. And so it looks like a sort of catch-22 situation, this, because you end up with an animal that ages less well, so it becomes less mobile and takes less exercise, and that then makes things worse because you're more likely to gain weight, you're more likely to have other problems of, of being sedentary, and that in turn feeds back and makes all the initial problems worse. So you're quite right to point the finger at this. If you maintain your level of activity, you are healthier all round, and that's part and parcel of, of what they're saying with this piece of research, that if you can keep active, then actually you, you age better in a range of different ways. Masin hmm. Yantito asking, please ask the naked scientists, what is the role of flies and mosquitoes in our ecosystem? Can we eliminate them completely and live in peace? That's a question on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, it's a common one, this thing. We've got all these horrible things like mosquitoes that want to give us diseases. Mosquitoes are the most dangerous animal on Earth because they convey all kinds of things like uh, malaria, like dengue, and therefore couldn't we just get rid of them? The answer is not really because they're an important part of nature's tapestry. There are thousands of different species of mosquito all over the world, so that's a big challenge. And also... The way that nature works is that every animal fits into a gap in the ecosystem. And if you don't have an animal in that gap, then eventually one will crop up that fills that gap. So if we removed mosquitoes, A, we're removing a food source for something, and B, we're creating a gap which actually something else will just step into. Um, so it's not a solution just to keep getting rid of things that are inconvenient for humans. We have to learn to live alongside them better mm -hmm. uh, some of that strategy might include not building big town cities and settlements and then dumping all our rubbish outside those towns cities and settlements where we encourage mosquitoes to, to move in so better stewardship of the environment is part of it um, there are other techniques that people are exploring as well like obviously better drugs to control these diseases because a lot of them are carried only by humans so if you stop humans carrying the disease there's nothing to give to the mosquito uh, and that solves part of the problem because people can put up with a few mosquito bites but they don't want to put up with malaria and then there are more radical solutions people are now exploring genetic solutions to this something called a gene drive and the idea of these techniques is that you could get genes into mosquitoes that might make it in impossible for them to carry certain diseases mm -hmm. and the genes propagate through the population leaving the mosquitoes alive but taking away their ability to make us unwell so there's a whole raft of, of ways and means that people are exploring to do this but we couldn't just remove these animals and they have evolved because there was an opportunity in the environment for them to evolve and they are a rich part of, of nature they feed things so we have to be very cautious what we change because it's a bit like a spider web lots of different strands and if you cut a few the whole thing thing goes out of shape so we we manipulate the environment at our peril mm. we've got Karabo in Pretoria here's a question about the universe Karabo good morning good morning um right is my line okay yes we can hear you go ahead Karabo all right um I, I read an article saying that the universe will end in a million years so I started to make an assumption that said if it, uh, the universe is going to end in a million years, how many times has it ended? And which iteration are we in of the universe? Have they calculated <laughs> that yet? Yeah, we, we don't think the universe is going to end in a million years. Um, not quite. The universe is already 13.8 
billion years old. So mm -hmm. we're measuring the lifetime of the universe in billions, not millions. Our own sun, which is illuminating the earth and giving us heat and light and warmth and keeping us alive, that's about four and a half, five billion years old and has judged on how fast it's burning and how much fuel it's still got in it, has got another five billion years or so to run. And the universe at the moment is getting bigger. So we don't think the universe is going to end anytime soon. We don't think our own sun in our solar system, in our galaxy, in our part of the cosmic neighbourhood is going to end anytime soon. But to return to your final question, which is, well, how many times has this happened in the past? We don't know. We don't know if the universe that we're in is the only universe. There are other theories in physics. They're impossible to test at the moment, but people are looking at it, which point towards perhaps there are many universes, the so-called parallel universe theory. Perhaps we're in one, but there are many, many universes that are popped in and out of existence, and we happen to be in this one because this is where the rules of physics work for us. Mm -hmm. The answer is we just don't know. Okay, uh, Bongani uh, in Soweto has a question. Bongani, let's try to get you on a better line. Cliff and Randberg, good morning. <coughs> Hello, morning. Yes, morning, Chris. Hi, Cliff. Hello. Yes, go ahead, Cliff, with your question. Yeah, Chris, I've got a question. You know, sometimes we buy eggs at the supermarket and it's got a double yolk. I'm sure you've experienced that, have you? Now, yes, I, I want to know, yeah. if, you, if that egg hatches, do we get a twin chick? Or one chick with, or, or a chick with one head and two bodies, or, or one chick with two heads and one body. Okay, now the, the reason that they have two yolks, the yolk is a big collection of cholesterol and fat and energy and inside the egg but associated with that yolk is an embryo and when the egg is fertilised, the embryo is what turns into the chick and it feeds off of the yolk. You'll only get two chicks in an egg if there are two embryos, the stem cells or the, the, thing, the, the egg cell that then gets fertilised and turns into the stem cells that will produce the chick. It's possible that the yolk can divide into two and only have one embryo attached to it, so you'd still get one chick, it's just connected to two yolks, but if there were two embryos inside the egg, you could get two chicks. I'm not sure how often that happens. And a question about crossbreeding. Why don't animals crossbreed? So why do we never see a lion crossbred with a, a leopard is a question we got via SMS as well. Why is that? Well, part of this comes down to species differences. The definition of a species is uh, a collection of animals that are fertile only with themselves. So if I have a species and I put it with a totally different group of animals then that are a different species the two animals could not breed and produce viable young. Hmm. Now, there are some instances or exceptions here where if you have one species and it has a very close relative, which is nonetheless another species, but they're sufficiently close in evolutionary time that they are fertile in the sense that you could put one of one with one of the other species and you would get um, progeny. Those progeny are not themselves necessarily fertile. This happens quite a lot. So you'd end up with, it can happen, but it then breeds itself out of existence because any of the progeny can't themselves then have more progeny. Um, so the reason this occurs is because with evolutionary time, you accumulate changes in your DNA which make a species have the specific characteristics that it does. And those changes in the DNA render the DNA of that animal uh, incompatible or that plant 
incompatible with another species because there there isn't the right lineup of genetic cards in the card deck to give you the right combination of cards that work in the right way to to play a game of cards with um th- and and that's why species are thought to be not cross fertile in that way it is the naked scientist for this week chris in studio answering your questions on 0214460567 and 0118830702 you can also send us your questions via sms that's on 31702 and 31567 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. 22 minutes after 10 o'clock, still joined in studio by the Naked Scientist, Chris Smith, and trying to answer some of your weird and wonderful questions about the world on 011-883-0702 and 021-446-0567. Joy in Krugersdorp, you have a question about um, fertility. Good morning. Yes, good morning. That's right. Um, when I was, I'm in my 70s now, when I was having babies, we were advised to have them in our thirties, but not later because they could be um, a disability. But now women are having their babies quite safely in their thirties and even forties. Chris, is there a reason for that? Right. Okay. the The reason for this is that fertility doesn't decline linearly mm-hmm. with age. What I mean by that is, if you take a graph of on the x-axis how old you are and on the y-axis how fertile you are, you can't draw a straight line going downwards which says that uh, for every year you lose a little bit of your fertility or your fertility stays in a flat line until you are, say, 45 and then it, it goes away. That doesn't happen. The line is relatively flat for about the first 30 to 35 years of a lady's life. And then suddenly the fertility drops off very dramatically year on year after the age of 35. And this means that people are advised if they want to have the best chances of having a baby and having a healthy baby, that having a baby by the age of about 30 or around the age of about 30 coincides with probably your best lifestyle factors you've got training you've got probably got your best job prospects you've probably got some money in the bank and a reasonable house um, but you've also got the most of your fertility if you go beyond the age of 35 that's not to say that you won't get pregnant it might take you longer to become pregnant mm-hmm. um, you may also have uh, um, a high likelihood of not becoming pregnant or having uh, other problems um, or genetic problems and so uh, what and what has happened in the more modern era is that the cost of living has risen enormously in many many countries the amount of training that people are having to go through before they reach a senior position that gives them stability at work has become quite long and so people are tending to defer their having children until they're older and that doesn't mean that people aren't having babies but what it does mean is that more people are having more problems having babies and this is something that many countries are very worried about because um, actually we're then seeing people who have to go through things like assisted conception and IVF mm. to help them have the babies that they want. So the advice hasn't changed. It still remains that um, prior, prior to the age of 35, you have your best prospects of having children. doesn't mean you can't have children after that age, but you're more likely to have problems. Um, and the reason we think this happens is that something physically changes in the ovary and if you want to read the work of a lady called Francesca Duncan, who does work at Northwestern University in Chicago in America, um, she actually has found that the ovary gets stiffer. The tissue becomes physically stiffer as the ovary ages, and 
This, in turn, affects the way in which the new eggs are formed in the ovary for ovulation because the environment is obviously less of a good nurturing environment to grow an egg. And that probably affects the way in which the, or the viability of those eggs, thus accounting for why fertility changes with age. We've got Hasi in Cape Town with a question. Good morning, Hasi. Good morning. Good morning, Professor. Uh, when Good morning. you pull the plug in a bath or in a basin, the water tends to leave in a either a clockwise or anti-clockwise direction. Uh, is there any truth in that, uh, that it depends in which hemisphere you are, north or south? Okay, this is, this is both yeah, I'll, a grain I'll of truth. On the radio. Um, Thank you this very is much. both a grain of truth but also a massive myth at the same time. Now, on the scale of an, a small bathtub or a sink or a lavatory in the average bathroom, then it is entirely down to local factors, whether the water goes clockwise or anticlockwise down the, down the drain. <laughs> if you look at the average bathtub, the taps are not in the middle. The taps are off to one side. So when you put the water into the bathtub or the sink, the water is already turning because it goes into the tub and it then hits the side and is deflected round in a circle. And water carries on circulating in the bathtub or whatever for a really long time after you put the water in. So not surprisingly, when you pull the plug out, the water already has some angular momentum, so it just accelerates and, and makes a whirlpool in, in that direction. That's not to say that there isn't a phenomenon called the Coriolis effect. The Earth is spinning, and because the Earth is spinning, there is angular momentum in bodies around the Earth's surface, which you can't just get rid of that. And so if you do the experiment really carefully, then there really is an effect. And if you want to read the papers, it was done in Australia um, in the 1950s, I think, by a guy called Trefethen, and it was done in the Northern Hemisphere in, I think it was either New York or Boston, by a chap called Shapiro, I think in the 60s or 70s. The way they did those experiments was to get a very big bath. It was literally a metre across a circular bath with smooth edges and a very small hole right at the dead centre. They filled it up, let it settle for a long time mm -hmm. after they filled it up to get rid of any natural movement of the water and then they took out the cork and they watched and there was movement in the southern hemisphere, it moved clockwise and in the northern hemisphere it rotated anti-clockwise and this is because of this so-called Coriolis effect the earth is moving but you have to do that experiment incredibly carefully uh, to, to elicit that effect and in the average bathroom this is not the case it is because the water was already turning when you put it into the bath or the sink or, or it went down the lavatory uh -huh. Bongani and Soweto final question for this morning good morning hi coach how are you we're good thank you Bongani good good uh, hi Dr Chris I have a quick one oh, uh, is it possible to like overcome like like your worst fear and is fear a disorder thanks thank you for that question Mongani yeah. overcoming so your worst fear can we fear? surmount phobias mm. this is possible and the, the reason that we have phobias people develop irrational fears for a range of different reasons um, but there, there is something which is called exposure therapy or aversion, you know, limited uh, exposure aversion therapy and what you do is to slowly expose a person to the thing that they are frightened of within the realms that that's possible. And the idea is that you allow them to develop coping strategies so that the in a series of graded exposures, so small amount, bit more, bit more, bit more, you slowly enable them to build up cognitive resilience so that you learn that 
Instead of your fear realising that I'm frightened of this and I'm frightened of this because if I do this, this might happen, you learn that the this doesn't happen and you slowly gain confidence that actually it's not so frightening after all. And knowing that it isn't so bad means that you're sort of forewarned is forearmed. You know that you are okay in those circumstances and so you can combat your fears to a certain extent and this has been used very effectively to to some people but it doesn't work for everybody and it depends on the circumstance because it's possible to be frightened of some things and you, you couldn't possibly expose some people to certain things they're frightened of because they, they wouldn't be feasible um, but certainly you can use this kind of cognitive behavioral therapy to help people to develop better sort of emotional and psychological reserve so that they're better able to talk themselves down and not get themselves um, worked up about something and, and that helps them to function better. That's the Naked Scientist for this week, Chris. Always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. See you next time. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.